Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. For once, I'm not, as always, joined by my good friend Joe, but instead I am joined by my brother James, who is going to be filling in for Joe this week. James is a fellow NFL fan, but we do not support the same team. James is a diehard Falcons fan. So, James, welcome to the show. Thanks, Charles. Real pleasure to be here and looking forward to standing in for Joe. Unfortunately, won't bring his statistical knowledge, but I can unashamedly big up all my fantasy players and increase their trade value. Yeah, there'll be none of that on this show, James. So, Falcons, tell us about that. And uh, I believe you've actually been to America and uh, seen a Falcons game live. Yeah, so that's exactly what it is. I, like many British fans, watch the NFL, but mainly it was a case of watching the Super Bowl, not following it throughout the year and getting excited for the big game and sort of maybe putting a bet on and following a team. And then I went out to the US to see some friends, went to see a Falcons game, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And that was it. I signed up for League Pass initially just to watch the Falcons and then really just got into it from there. But yeah, definitely a fan that understands the offensive positions and players, but maybe doesn't have the knowledge of maybe some of the defensive positions and less technical areas. Great. Well, shall we dive straight into it then with a little bit of a recap of some of the key games from last week? And why don't we start with the Bears and Lions? Yeah, so for me, this has definitely got to be a game about the quarterbacks. I think Goff is a player I actually really like, and it's a sad state of affairs that he's ended up in Detroit. And, you know, the the old love affair of Sean McVay and Goff is over. And then you've got Fields on the other side of it. And again, a player I really like because I watched the Netflix show and really fell in love with the guy himself and just to see him transition into the NFL and, and get on has, has been fantastic. And yeah, I'd be interested. What what do you think of his start so far? And obviously he's now in the starting lineup. Uh, what are your views? Yeah, well, I mean, Joe and I have spoken about the Bears a little bit. Obviously, as NFC North boys, we like to dump all over the Bears from time to time. Fields has had a really tough start to the NFL, I feel. But this week, we actually got to see what everybody was so excited to see in fields from the off. The Bears, Joe and I were chastising them last week for their pitiful offense and and suddenly they showed up this week. Now, you know, of course, it is worth noting that it is just the Lions and they've got a notoriously bad defense, but Justin Fields took nine sacks versus the Browns the previous week. And this week he only missed six passes. Sure, he took the interception, but... Really, that was deflected at the line of scrimmage. It wasn't exactly like he fired it straight into the opposition's hands. And then he also got hit for a strip sack. But again, he did a really good job of recovering his own fumble. Outside of those two mistakes, he was actually really solid. And I think this was a game that really reminds us of what this quarterback can do when he has solid protection from his O-line. And I think that's what we haven't seen in previous games. His O-line's been letting him down and defences have been able to get to him quickly and he struggled. You know, it's been a real case of welcome to the NFL for him. I think the other big news that came out of this game was the injury to Montgomery's leg in the fourth quarter. Montgomery was having a solid rushing game. He he was rushing at that point over 100 yards. He's been the constant bright spark for this often gloomy Bears offense. And if he goes down, 
I think Fields is going to struggle further because not only does he have a bit of a leaky O-line, but then teams aren't going to have to defend against the run as honestly as they currently are doing. Now, they don't think that he has torn his ACL, which is good news, but they're going to continue to run more tests. And I think that's something that you're just going to have to keep an eye on as the season goes on. You know, if Montgomery goes out, this may not be the bounce back game that kickstarts his professional career in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a very fair assessment. It was an absolutely superb start for Fields in the sense that Montgomery just rushed his way up the field. And then the first throw, I think he threw, he threw an absolute rocket to Mooney, who made one of the most outrageous catches I've seen. And it really just allowed him to sort of settle into the game and just get comfortable. And it was like the Lions just didn't show up. But what, what a second half when the, the comeback seemed like it was on. But I thought he did a great job to close the game out. Yeah, that's the other thing, actually, because I spoke about the Bears' defence last week with Joe and I was surprised to see how poor it was this season. This game was a much, much better showing from the defence against a Lions team that has been scoring. As you mentioned, Goff's been doing well for them. I know that they eventually did get some scores towards the latter end of the game, but it was more kind of garbage time territory. So I think all in all, it was a good showing for the Bears, but it was against one of the weakest teams in the NFL. Now, next week, the Bears go on to play the Raiders, which, again, I think the defense is really going to have a difficult time against those guys. But let's see. You know, hopefully this is the game that Fields needs to get his rhythm and to get his foot in the door. And we'll see if he can step on from here. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess moving on to the next game, huge game, two unbeaten teams in the same division the Rams versus the Cardinals. Now, anyone who follows the podcast will know you've been big on the Cardinals for a while now, and this seems like the season where they're proving you right. So do you want to take us through the game and talk a little bit about how the Cardinals have done? Yeah, this felt really big for the Cardinals for me. Kyler Murray has never beaten the Rams before in his entire career. Now, sure, he's only in his third year in the NFL, But he was also down two starting offensive linemen. So the Cardinals had everything to prove, really. The Rams were high off their big win against the Bucs. They had already faced tough opposition and overcome it. The Cardinals maybe hadn't played the same caliber of teams that the Rams had had to face up to this point. So this was really the litmus test for them. I mean, Joe is going to be absolutely gutted that he's not here himself to talk about this, I'm sure, after he lamented the fact that he was sick and tired of commentators clamouring all over Stafford. But the merry-go-round has finally stopped. I think for me, a lot of the damage was done by the Cardinals' defence here. They did a great job of limiting Stafford's options, but I'm sure Joe will be smiling in Greece hearing this. But for me, the cracks did start to show on this Stafford 2021 oil painting. If we take a look at the game and Stafford's performance in it, he threw behind Cooper Cup and Robert Woods on one of the first half drives. He launched an interception on a deep shot to Deshaun Jackson. And then luckily he had a second pick pulled back for a roughing the passer call. Then there was a delay of game penalty after a 16-yard completion to Cup. And in the second half, Stafford missed Cup twice for big gains, one of which was almost certainly a touchdown. So I think we started to see the mistakes creep in here with Stafford. 
and some of those cracks started to show. And, and I think this was really the point that Joe was making last week in that Stafford is a good quarterback. He was undoubtedly an upgrade for the Rams, but he is not the Messiah and he is not this perfectly unstoppable quarterbacking machine. And we saw that this game. But you've got to take your hat off to the Cardinals and, you know, how they kind of forced his hand in some of that. I think what is making the Cardinals so successful, however, this season, certainly in terms of their offense, is their ability to spread the ball around. And that was really, really important to do in this match in particular, because Jalen Ramsey was all over DeAndre Hopkins. And really, it just didn't matter. I mean, Hopkins has been relatively quiet so far this season, but that's absolutely fine for this Cardinals team because if he draws the double coverage or even, you know, the tough coverage in terms of Jalen Ramsey, then Murray's more than capable of connecting with AJ Green, who's the new addition this year, Max Williams, and even Chase Edmonds, who saw a number of receptions this game. So I think really it's the versatility of the Cardinals offense that that shone and that makes them really, really hard to defend. We know that Rams are a very solid defensive team and they've been managing to shut a lot of teams down. You know, they did a great job against Brady and the Bucks, but uh, Kyler Murray here and the Cardinals offensively, they found a way around that. And that was really, they've got a number of runners they can turn to. They've got a number of wide receivers who are very capable of making big plays, of getting those difficult catches. And they're reveling in that this year. They're really spreading it about. And that just makes them exceptionally tricky to play against. James, the Cardinals now, they're 4-0, unbeaten. What are your thoughts on Murray as MVP at this stage in the season? Do you think he's leading the pack at the moment or do you have someone else up there instead? Yeah, I'd say it's Kyler Murray. Much to, I'm sure, Joe's frustration, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug for Dallas and the Cowboys. I think what Dak's doing in Dallas, it just shows his importance. You know, he went down with the injury last year, seeing him back in that team and seeing all these players that kind of look like they were done and their careers were sort of on the decline. He's really sort of brought that offense back to life. And I always think when you talk MVP, you know, it is the most valuable player in the league, of course, but it also needs to be considered in light of the team. And you can really see the extreme difference between a team without Dak Prescott and a team with Dak Prescott. And so, you know, he'd probably be in the frame for me. It will obviously depend on how Dallas' season goes and how it shakes out. But yeah, he'd probably be a name that I'd probably throw in the mix. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. I I mean, last year, Joe and I weren't particularly hot on Dak and his performances. But this really is almost the kind of Disney comeback show, isn't it, for Dak? He's worked hard to recover from that horrific injury. And you're absolutely right. Even this week, you know, he made some terrific passes and they blew their opposition wide open. So... Yeah, Dak is certainly, I think, much improved and has put on an impressive performance this season. But yeah, for me, Kyler Murray, he's just he's just running this show at the Cardinals. And 
I think they're going to be a very difficult team to beat because I think they're really well balanced. And we talk about this on the show. You can be a great defensive team, but if you're not scoring, you're going to struggle. You can be a great offensive team, but if you can't stop certain plays, then you're not going to get very far. I think that the Cardinals... I mean, they've got a wicked defense this year. They're really, really putting people under pressure. You know, they got Watt this season, um, who's been impactful. But, you know, it's not just about what the whole defense is doing a fantastic job. And I think that now they've found their rhythm in terms of this kind of dual run threat and the, the series of wide receivers that they have, which AJ Green's now come into the fold. They're on top of a very, very competitive division at the moment. So... Let's see if they can keep up the momentum and keep up that consistency. So I guess one final thing before we move on to the final game. What do you think this means for the Rams? Do you think Stafford's going to bounce back? Do you think they're going to get a wild card spot? Or do you think that this might halt a bit of momentum and, and sort of maybe expose some of the scars in Stafford's game? I don't think it's by any means panic stations for Stafford and the Rams. They have a system. It's worked well up until now. You know, they've beaten the Bucks, which is by no means a joke team. They've just come up against a, a very solid team in the Cardinals. Obviously, it hurts them that this is a divisional matchup. Uh, so they've lost that head to head. And as Joe and I have discussed before, they're in the NFC West, which is a highly competitive division. The Cardinals sitting 4-0, and Rams are 3-1, and and then you've got the Seahawks and the 49ers just behind them both on two and two so they certainly can't rest on their laurels and they need to be trying to win every game between now and postseason but yeah I don't think Sean McVay will be worrying too much you chalk that one down to a loss you hit the training field again and and you get back out there as quickly as you can and, and try and secure your next win I personally still think that the Rams will make it into the playoffs but I mean really at this stage four weeks in you could argue that Cardinals, Rams, Seahawks, 49ers, they all stand a very good chance of being there. So it really is going to be a fight to the death on this one. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, what a division of football. So moving on to the Chargers Raiders, I think this game really exposed my lack of NFL knowledge. I did the ESPN picks before the game on this one and only got four out of 12. So I really kind of saw this game as being a shootout. I thought the Raiders were going to put up some big numbers. Carr seemed to be firing, but it didn't turn out that way. And and to be honest, the, the first quarter was a bit of a difficult one to watch. There were lots of punts. There, there wasn't much scoring and it really wasn't how I expected. What do you think of the game? And I guess, what do you think of these two teams and their prospective futures? Yeah, so last week, Joe and I talked about what each team would want to get out of the game. Chargers, of course, wanted to build on their Chiefs victory and prove that their defense could be more effective this year than it was last year. And the Raiders wanted to put up some big points on the board to really prove that they had a consistently high scoring offense against a tough defensive opponent. Now, unfortunately, you know, these goals were mutually exclusive and uh, it went in favour of the Chargers this time. They came away with what they were after. They held the Raiders to nothing in the first half and to just 14 points overall. There was a moment in this game in the second half where Carr started to catch fire and for a brief moment I thought the Raiders have come back from double-digit deficits twice this season. 
and the Chargers do have a tendency of shooting themselves in the foot. But really, that's when the Chargers D stepped up big time with that crucial sack on third and three on the 28-yard line. It was a drive that if the Raiders had converted, they could have tied the score. But instead, the long field goal was missed, which then left the Chargers in a good position. And of course, Herbert then completed a clutch fourth and two pass to Cook to keep their drive alive, which ended up in an Eckler touchdown to seal the game. So... It was perhaps a closer game than the scoreline suggested in the end. You could be forgiven for taking a look at this score and thinking that the Chargers blew out the Raiders. It was very minor details that made the difference between it potentially being a tied game or a one-score game and the scoreline being what it was. I definitely don't think this is doom and gloom for the Raiders, but of course... The Chargers now walk away with two divisional head-to-heads. So Chargers and Raiders, and actually, I believe the Broncos as well, they're all tied on three and one. So again, we were talking about how competitive the NFC West is. And here we are in the AFC West, equally competitive, all three teams on three and one, and then the Chiefs just behind them on two and two. But the Chargers have two divisional head-to-head victories, which actually could end up being the crucial determiner when it comes to playoff time. But Joe and I did talk about the AFC West potentially having two wildcard teams. They could support that with the quality of teams that they do have there. So it's still a scrap now and it's all to play for. I think what is probably the worst news for the Raiders is that they lost three of their cornerbacks in this matchup. Uh, So we'll have to see how severe those injuries are. But there was a groin, a concussion and a foot injury. And then really, the ineffectiveness of Josh Jacobs surprised me quite a bit. He only managed to rush for 40 yards on 13 attempts, which is an average of just over three yards per rushing attempt, which is definitely far from desirable. I guess I just, just one last thing I'd like to touch on in this game is Herbert. I mean, he's just winning fans over all across the league. He had an incredible rookie season, everyone clamoring for him in fantasy. And then you look at the kick on this year, and I just want to throw it back to the whole Trevor Lawrence discussion. Could have been a transcendent talent, he still could be, but I guess people were maybe expecting a similar sort of rookie season. What what do you think about the situation he's got in Jacksonville and Do you think he's underperformed or do you just think he's not in a position to be able to perform? There's so many factors going on at Jacksonville, which we'll get onto in a little bit. I mean, obviously you had this Myers news uh, breaking this week, which we'll discuss briefly a little bit later on. But the problem with Jacksonville is they are a team that came dead last last year. They got their first pick in their quarterback, but that doesn't change a whole team. and, And so... There's a lot that team need to now build around their quarterback to enable him to perform a certain standard. You take a look at Burrow and the Bengals, look at them last year and look at them this year. I mean, Burrow was still performing pretty well for the Bengals, but they were losing game after game after game because the Bengals didn't have an O-line. Burrow got absolutely smashed to pieces because of that lack of protection. And I think it's the same situation with Jacksonville. It's going to take a season or two till they can gather enough pieces that they need to, to pair up with Lawrence. And I think that's what Jacksonville are just waiting on, really. 
So before we take a look at a preview of some of the upcoming games, there are just a few little bits around the league that is probably worth having a quick mention, sort of snapshots of some of the things that we happen to see in the games. One of those, it has to be Jimmy G's calf injury. James, I don't know if you saw that go down. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think everyone's clamoring for Trey to get the start. Everyone maybe argued that Jimmy G's time was numbered anyway, but it's not been easy for him. And, you know, you start to wonder if he is a a preferable option. He showed flashes in that game, but ultimately the Seahawks took control and bossed it to an extent. Trey Lance had some moments that were impressive, but I don't think he's ready yet. And I think that could be quite a bit of a blow for San Francisco. And I think that could really damage their chances in a really tough division. Yeah, I was being a bit facetious there, really, because I I am not sure that Jimmy G did have a calf injury. I did not see the play in which he got injured. I did not see him hobble off. And I just think, look, obviously, as you pointed out, there's fan pressure there for Lance to come in and to be the guy. But if you're going to buckle to fan pressure, just be man enough to say, okay, we're, we're putting Lance in. Don't do this pseudo ghost injury business. I mean, we'll wait and see, but I really do question whether Jimmy G actually got injured on any play out there. And to be honest, I think this kind of supports what I was saying last week, which is Jimmy G has been a perfectly serviceable quarterback. He's not been setting the world on fire, but he's not been awful. And Lance was very, very effective in the plays that San Francisco brought him in on. Now that they've just said, look, Lance, you're in charge, take it and see what happens. He's performing probably not too different from Garoppolo. He's serviceable. There's some nice plays there, but there's also some mistakes there, just like there is with Jimmy G. So I personally agree with you. I think it's too early, not necessarily for for Lance's development, but for the 49ers who are trying to get to Super Bowl this season. It was working well for me, the Jimmy G and Trey Lance combo. And when they brought Lance on, he was very effective. They've now kind of taken that magic out of their playbook by making him the sole quarterback. So, you know, let's see how quickly this uh, this calf injury suddenly heals itself or not. But it's certainly one to watch there at the 49ers. Very cynical. I think we have to take San Francisco at their word on this one. But yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I think another thing we just very briefly need to talk about, it's probably not even a discussion point, but uh, the Chiefs defense. We've mentioned it a few times on this show. It's an absolute mess. The Chiefs only won this game because the offense was absolutely perfect, bar possibly one play. They scored on every drive. But really, when you concede that many points to the Eagles... Personally, I think you're in trouble. And I think the Chiefs really need to fix this first if they want to be at the Super Bowl game again this year. The Chiefs are a team that I'm not ashamed to say. I can't stand them. When you watch them and you watch them play their games, it is so frustrating watching the games and seeing them just march up the field time and again. If it's big plays, chunk plays, or running the ball, they are so talented offensively and it all starts with Mahomes obviously but they're just one of those teams you want to lose because they are just so talented and for me I'm kind of enjoying the fact that their defense isn't 
what it has been in the past and just seeing these games be more competitive and it almost means that Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey they have to do these amazing things to get the games won and it's just a, a little bit more enjoyable than watching them trash teams and watching the offense go up and down the field and the defense historically matching it and just blowing teams out so yeah from my perspective I, I kind of welcome it a bit and it's nice to see them lose a few games and then finally before we preview some of the upcoming games urban myers was in the news this week showing us that there in fact is something wrong with a little bit of bump and grind what do you think this does for the players james you know is it a distraction will he have lost the locker room yeah that's quite a funny article and watching the video it's just embarrassing for him isn't it really look i mean the jags are a bit of a mess now anyway to say it's going to distract on performance i don't think it it is will he have lost respect with the owners potentially will he have lost the respect of the players maybe but i i don't think we're going to turn around and say you know a poor jaguar's performance or deterioration next week or in the coming weeks will have anything to do with this but yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on him. He's put himself in a much more difficult position. He's not been able to prove that he's the man for the job yet. And then you couple that with this rather embarrassing story. So I think, if anything, he's put more pressure on himself than cause a distraction for the team. Yeah, you know, we were talking about coaches in the hot seat last week and I said without a shadow of a doubt, I felt that Matt Nagy was leading that race. I think now Urban Myers has uh, has maybe done Nagy a little bit of a favour here. With the loss to the Bengals this week, it was quite a tight loss. The Jags were a defiant opposition and they came close. I think after such a narrow loss, you want to see your head coach or you want to know that he's going right. We came close this game. I'm now going to do everything that I can to make sure that the next game we get even closer. And this just kind of really takes the air out of any momentum that the Jags might have felt that they'd taken from that Bengals game. I think that it's a really irresponsible move. And I think the issues that it may cause in the future if he remains in the job is if any one of his players go and do something sort of untoward outside of practice or outside of the game, he's really going to struggle to have a leg to stand on if he's kind of disciplining them or chastising them. So I think he's lost a bit of credibility here. I think he's put himself up as front runner for possibly the first head coach to lose his job. Of course, I agree. But really, bunch of players... A guy with a girl grinding up on him, is is he really going to lose a locker room? Is there not going to be a bit of banter about that? You know, it's the coach, let's get behind him. I don't think it's a, an offensive act that's going to turn the locker room against him. You might even find that it, that it brings a bit of levity to the situation, more so than the players sort of saying, oh, we can do what we want now because he's lost our respect. So... Let's move on then to a preview of a couple of the upcoming games. I think the big ones this week, Chiefs and Bills. Chiefs and Bills. I mean, this is definitely a game that I'm going to be tuning in for. Massive game for the Chiefs. They can't afford to drop any more games or slide any further in the division. 
And the Bills, I mean, they are flying. Uh, watching them this week, just piling up the points. They really got that offense clicking. And so, you know, you're going to have a battle here of two high-powered offenses. For me, it's going to come down to whose defense shows up and who can get some stops. And right now, I wouldn't know which way to go on this one. I'm going to say the Bills pull out just based on form and confidence. It's a tricky one to call. I think that's a really fair assessment, and I think that's exactly it. The Bills have been absolutely scoring at will, and offences have been absolutely scoring at will against the Chiefs. So there's no reason to think that the Bills aren't going to put up massive numbers, uh, and it's just really whether the Chiefs' offence can keep up with that, because I don't think that their defence has it in them to to really put too much pressure on, on that Bills' O. It's a really crucial game for the Chiefs because they finally started to claw their way back into that competition. Teams ahead of them, three and one. Chiefs are now two and two. The Broncos lost. The Raiders lost. So it's kept that division very, very tight. And they won't want to then take another step backwards. Chargers have a tough matchup this week against the Browns. So if they can claw any ground back, this will be where the Chiefs want to be but I think it is going to be incredibly hard and they'll need to do a repeat of what they did against the Eagles they are going to have to be perfect on the offense and even though you're talking about Mahomes and Hill and crew that's still a really big ask so yeah I mean we touched on Myers and the Jags they've got a game against the Titans the Titans obviously lost to the Jets which was a surprise on top of that, Julio Jones was out, and as an Atlanta Falcons fan, I understand his importance. This kind of feels like a game that they have to win. The Jags are under a lot of pressure, as we've talked about with the Myers situation. Which way do you see this going? I think it is all going to come down to who the Titans have available. I mean, I would never have put money on the Titans losing to the Jets, as you pointed out, Julio Jones was out, so was Hollywood Brown. So they really had no wide receivers. And to be fair, even with them both in, the Titans have been struggling this season. And Tannehill has not been finding the connection that perhaps fans hoped he would have with his wide receivers. Now he's down to the kind of stand-in people. It's going to be a real struggle. I think what makes this quite an important game for the Jags is of course the Urban Meyer situation that we've just discussed he'll want to regain some faith with the fan base and with ownership and on top of that when you've seen that the Jets can beat the Titans then really you don't want to be the team that can't if both Julio and Hollywood Brown are out so I think that's where it lies I think if one or two of them are back in the mix it takes that pressure off a little bit more. But really, I think this will be a game that the Jags will desperately want to win, and in particular, Urban Myers. If he can get a win here, it might mean that he hangs on to his job for a week longer. So it's an important one for sure. And then from the Titans' point of view, they don't want to be slipping too far behind because they haven't been firing on all cylinders. So a team against an 0-4 Jags, you want to bag that so I think both teams are going to be really really desperate to win this 
And I think it could be a close affair if the Titans don't have all their players back on the roster. I think it's absolutely outrageous that we're not going to talk about the London game. It's in our country and we've got two massive teams in the Atlanta Falcons and the Jets. You know, the Jets coming off a win. The Falcons have Corderell Patterson, the greatest running back in the league. Which way do you think that's going? I know we're both going to the game, so it's in London. We're a UK podcast, so let's just briefly touch on that before we call it a day on the podcast. If it was a normal game in the US, I'd go into this and I'd say I fancy the Falcons to win it. Patterson has been absolutely on fire at the moment. Matt Ryan has been a bit hit and miss, but I think he's started to ease into the season a little bit more now. He's started to find his rhythm a little bit more. Obviously, the Jets are coming high off a off a win against the Titans. But as we discussed, it was the Titans that were, were missing quite a few pieces. But as we know, James, the London games are a mystery unto themselves. Teams come over here that you think that have all the form and suddenly drop off the face of a cliff. I remember the, the Ravens were the informed team years ago, came over to the UK and got smacked by the Jaguars. And this was a Ravens team that had an absolutely solid defense. And the Jaguars just put up a silly score against them. So I sort of feel anything is possible in a situation like this. I just hope for the sake of the fans, that it's at least an enjoyable, entertaining game. And I'll get this dig in as an Arsenal fan, especially if we've got to go all the way to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to watch it. I would prefer it being in Wembley personally, but here we go. Let's see what the first Tottenham game is going to be like. It's not a fixture that any NFL fan, apart from Jets and Atlanta Falcons fans, are probably excited about. I think there's some storylines there. I think the Jets coming off a win will add a bit more intrigue and a, and a bit more mystery about that fixture. And, you know, we've talked about Patterson. I mean, that's just a, a great story for American sports and, and football in general. A guy that's sort of bounced around and really just been seen as a return specialist. And now to sort of see him being given a chance and, and really excelling and undoubtedly, provided he doesn't have any injuries, he's going to get paid and get a contract off the back of this. So there are some storylines there. But like you said, the games in London are an absolute Wild West show. And, you know, hopefully it's just a fun game. Neither team are going to the Super Bowl. So let's just enjoy it for what it is. Absolutely. Well, James, thank you very much for joining me this week. It's been an absolute pleasure and I couldn't do it without you. Listeners, as always, if you've got any questions, feel free to shoot them in to playsheetpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our social channels. And if there are any listeners out there that are indeed going to that game, again, feel free to hit us up and we'd love to meet up and have a chat, share a drink and uh, enjoy some football. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed being on the show and, and talking about some American football and uh, yeah, hopefully Joe will be back soon to pick up the podcast. Thank you to all the listeners and look forward to listening and being on the other side of this for the following weeks.